Welcome to this special edition of Conversations Live. Today we come to you from the traditional territories of the Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish First Nations. Joining me today is Dan Fumano of the Vancouver Sun, along with Sean Hall, our Slido master. Now to send us a question via Slido, please go to slido.com and enter the password conversations and then send in your question. Well, Mr. Mayor, I want to thank you for agreeing to join us for this look back and look forward. And I particularly want to thank you for not imposing any restrictions on this conversation. No. <laughs> you said it's uh, wide open. Maria? No, I, I'm just kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's a compliment to you. Um, Mayor Eby was the, or uh, Premier Eby was the same, and you're one of the few who is in a position of authority like this. He says, bring it on. Bring so, it on, yeah. Thank you for that. That said, we have a lot to get to, so let's get started. And we always like to start with a poll from our pollster, Mario Canseco. Amy, can you please roll that? Well, almost half of Vancouverites, housing is the most pressing concern facing the city at this time. Housing is by far the key issue for residents of the east side, the west side, and downtown. Drug overdoses are the only other issue to reach double digits on a citywide basis, followed by crime and taxes. Concerns about public safety are higher in the west side, while almost one in four residents of the downtown area are worried about drug overdoses. Just over half of Vancouverites are satisfied with the way Ken Sim is managing his duties as mayor. Sim's rating reaches 57% in the west side of the city, but is lower in the two other areas. It is important to note that just over one in five residents of Vancouver are not sure when asked about the mayor, a number that rises to 36% among those who reside in the downtown area. Looking back on the past 12 months, there are three issues where residents appear dissatisfied with the pace of change. Three in five Vancouverites think housing affordability is worse than it was before Ken Sim took office. And more than two in five feel the same way about their quality of life, as well as the decisions that have been made to manage homelessness and public safety. There are three issues where a third of Vancouverites report a worsening situation. The influence of developers, the cleanliness of streets and road maintenance, and jobs and economic development. In each of these cases, residents are more likely to say that things are the same as they were before the ABC majority took control of city council. Fewer than three in 10 Vancouverites report things getting worse on four other issues, fiscal responsibility, public schools, parks and facilities, and public recreation and activities. While there are no sizable increases in the number of residents who feel things are better now than they were a year ago, just over one in five report a decline when it comes to facilities and recreation opportunities. For Conversations Live, I'm Mario Canseco from ResearchGo. So, Mr. Mayor, it's been 367 days wow. since you were sworn into office. And when you took the oath of office, you said, we heard loud and clear the people want change, and change is here. I'm going to strive to be that mayor. That's what you said, the one that unites our city. Mm -hmm. Success can only be achieved if we are fearless in the face of failure. Yeah. You know, when you came into this job, you had uh, come from the corporate environment. Mm -hmm. You were CEO. You were used to having complete authority. Mm -hmm. A year in, are you surprised at how different it is when you're in City Hall and how much authority you actually have? No, you know, it's it's the same. I, I don't think you get authority by a title that you have. You have to earn it. And, you know, uh, be it, you know, 
public sector, private sector, government, not-for-profits, uh, at the end of the day, these are all organizations and it's all about the people. And so, you know, I, you, you can't force people to do stuff. You have to, you know, provide a vision and inspire people. And so that's what we're working on. And do you think that you're, you've been able to accomplish that, that you've been able to uh, give people that sense of uh, swagger, as you like to say, that the city is coming back? Well, look, I, I think um, I, I think we're in a better position that we were a year ago, but make no mistake about it, we have a lot of work to do. Um, what's What work have we done? Well, we committed to doing um, 94 uh, things. Um, we put it in our platform and the, the city gave us a resounding, you know, yes, by electing myself as mayor, but also our entire team. And so after one year, we've hit about 40 of those 94 things. Uh, some of those uh, items you'll see to see an immediate impact. Some of these things take time. So the cup fee, uh, we got rid of it. Um, it's gone. So you don't have to pay 25 cents uh, per cup. Now, people don't think that's a big deal, but that's actually, you know, 22, $23 million a year. Uh, we stopped the road tax and it, that was a real thing. That was $250 million um, uh, set up fee plus 50 to $100 million a year and it would have devastated businesses in the downtown core. Um, we made the commitment to, uh, towards public safety um, by hiring 100 police officers and 100 mental health nurses. Uh, people didn't think that was possible. Well, I can say that we've hired 104 police officers. I think it's 116 now. It, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, yeah, I think that's yeah. the new number. Yeah. Three weeks ago, it was 104. And by the way, let, like, let's be very clear here. Um, we still have to hire more because there's attrition. People retire, so we're not at that 100 additional yet. But we've made significant progress and pe like, people didn't think that was possible. And there have been you know, things that haven't gone um, as fast as we wanted them to. So the 100 uh, mental health nurses, um, once we gave that to um, you know, the Vancouver Coastal Health Authority, um, because they're the experts, they said, well, actually, what we could use is 58 mental health workers. And um, they've been trying to hire, and we've hired about 10. Um, and so we're having some positive impact with those 10. But yeah, no, we, we need to move a lot faster. And by the way, I do want to say, so thankful for the provincial government for stepping up and taking that on, and so thankful for Vancouver Coastal um, to, um, you know, for them hiring and working on it because they're working really hard. We just have challenges. And so, you know, I can go on and on. Well, um, we do have challenges. You know, uh, Douglas Todd and the Vancouver Sun journalist called the situation on downtown east side a wicked problem. Mm -hmm. There isn't an easy answer. No, there isn't. Yeah. Um, some things we can uh, triage in the short term. Some of these things will take a generation. You know, that's just the reality. And it's going to take all three levels of government and it's going to take the community as well. Uh, we just choose to start dealing with the issues now and working with the senior levels of government for support. Um, you know, it's, they, they've been great. I just want to yeah. say they've been great. There are things uh, going on behind the scenes and we're working collaboratively together. So, um, you know, to paint the situation, first of all, to give you context, I think after the election, a lot of people uh, across this province wondered whether or not we could work with the provincial government because of how you know things went during the election. And I can tell you, they've been incredible partners. Um, I think we've been pretty good partners to them and we've been working um, collaboratively on a lot of things. And uh, one great example is 90 units of uh, workforce housing. 
Um, we are presented with a situation where we had to get it approved or we'd lose it. Um, we did that in two hours in council. And, uh, you know, some of our, you know, um, what people think are, are traditional supporters weren't too enthusiastic about it. But we've made the commitment to the city that we're going to do what we believe is right. Um, and it was right to, you know, support that housing so people can get off the streets and on the road to recovery. I'm going to hand you over to Dan Fermano at the moment. So as we heard from Mario Canseco at the outset here, housing remains a top concern for a lot of Vancouverites. Mm -hmm. I would say the 3331 promise was kind of a cornerstone of ABC's housing platform in the last election. I was in your office last week and you've got it up on the board on your wall as one of your daily focuses. Um, and you walk us through it. It's three days to approve a renovation permit for a renovation. Yeah. Three weeks for a house or a duplex to approve a house or a duplex. Yeah. Three months for a mid-rise and low-rise and low-rise kind of project, yeah. and a year, one year for a high-rise project or a yeah. larger project. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, obviously, speeding things up, more efficiency is a big kind of part of your platform. Mm -hmm. Now that you've been at City Hall for a year and have a more of an understanding of how things work behind the scenes, do you still feel like those targets are achievable? Yes. Which of those, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but which of those four do you think will be the hardest and which will, which do you think you can kind of hit first? I don't know which one's going to be the hardest, um, but I do think they're all achievable and I actually think we can do better. And so... Uh, all we're talking about, th this is just simple workflow. We have incredibly complicated workflow and, you know, conflicting bylaws. And it's just a, you know, uh, a dog's breakfast. And I can tell you, we've already put a lot of work into it. So we've embedded 3331 into uh, the system now. And uh, a couple of things we've done, um, you know, going from nine RS zones to one RS zone. Uh, for your audience, basically, we have nine different ways or, or nine different ways of approving permits to build a house in the city to make it overly simplistic um, what that does for people that want to build and architects that actually want to make up plans it's actually really really complicated and every like it's not just nine times more compli complicated it's exponentially more complicated and we went from <coughs> nine to one um, in areas pretty much almost all across the city and so that speeds up the process we have a couple of hundred bylaws that our team at the city of Vancouver has been uh, reviewing that they're going to literally take off the table. So, you know, we can continue to give you all these little wins that we've done. And, you know, if you keep plugging away over time, you make the process simpler. Now, we pointed to 3331, uh, three weeks to build a single family home. You know, we're talking about three weeks in our current state with our current technology. I do want your viewers to know that there is technology out there in the world that we can leapfrog this stuff. For example, in Australia, they're approving single-family home permits in 12 seconds with the use of AI. So let's let's have that conversation as well. So do I think we can achieve it? Absolutely. Do I think we can do better? Absolutely. So if you had to guess, when do you think will be the first time that a mid-rise project gets approved in under three months? Is that going to happen during this four-year term? During next year? Uh, I don't think uh, it's going to happen in the next year. And it's not, it's not binary. It's not a one or a zero where all of a sudden you're, you're going to wait six years and then, blah, you know, three months. 
I think what you'll see is over time, the process will get faster and faster and faster. And then one day you'll wake up and it's actually really fast. It looks like it's slowing down a little bit right now. If you go to the city of Vancouver permits issued for this year, it's about a thousand fewer than last year at the same time. Yeah. Well, what happened? I, I don't know, but see, I think that's the wrong metric to be tracking as well, because it's not the number of permits you issue. I think last year we celebrated, um, or like, was it, yeah, uh, last year we, we celebrated the fact that we issued more permits than ever before. But if you, and, and it doesn't even matter if that stat is right or wrong, that's the wrong metric. The real metric should be the speed of issuing the permits. So let's say we issued 100,000 permits in the city of Vancouver, but it took us 12 years. Well, guess what? Every single person that was waiting for a permit, guess what? Their pro formas have totally changed. They don't know where their demand is. They don't know where the cost of the raw materials are. They probably went through three financing cycles. So that, that's a completely useless metric. It's how quickly can you issue that permit from when someone applies to when it gets issued? Because that actually will dictate whether or not those projects will be successful. So I'm really curious to hear what Michael Geller's reaction is to that. <laughs> Michael, you can take the microphone, please. <laughs> when I speak to staff, they often, often mention one of the problems is just dealing with the backlog. Mm -hmm. And I often think we should do what they used to do in libraries, where they say, okay, folks, if you've got books out there, you can bring them back and there'll be no fine. Mm -hmm. I almost think we should just get rid of the backlog, just to prove it. Because yeah. as someone once said, oftentimes the city takes two years to approve a project, mm -hmm. and when it's built, most people don't like it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Practical solution? Yeah, you know what, and here's the great thing, what we've told the city is we're gonna crowdsource our solution. So that's actually a very legitimate you know, um, solution to the, ch uh, the challenges we have. And so we'll take that back. So I'd like to call in Sean right at the moment. Sean, there's a couple of uh, questions that have come in from Slido around transit. Maybe you could read uh, number three there. Yeah, thank you, Stu. It's uh, a question from Melissa Phelps. While Vancouver Transit is decent, limited funding for bus stops uh, leads to a poor rider experience, lower ridership and increased car usage, would you support boosting funding for waiting areas? Well, and that also adds to topics about uh, transportation infrastructure. Mm -hmm. What's your plan on being able to start to get away from the increasing gridlock that we're seeing in so many different areas of the city? Yeah, so most of the transit issues that we deal with, we have to look at it from a regional perspective. So, you know, it, it's a TransLink issue. And so TransLink doesn't stop at boundary and the bridges. And so we look at it holistically. Um, so I've always uh, said that Vancouver has to be a great partner to the region. And um, from a purely selfish perspective, um, to give you an illustrative example, would love to build the UBC line, um, the extension out to UBC. It makes sense on so many levels. But if we look at this place as a region, is that necessarily the best answer? I can't answer that but we rely on TransLink and all the mayors that sit on the, uh, on the council to figure out where the, the next piece of in infrastructure should be and should it be south of the Fraser, um, where it may not directly uh, help us, but indirectly actually helps us address a bunch of different issues because if we actually can provide more mobility to um, individuals south of the Fraser and we connect them to the city of Vancouver, 
all of a sudden it actually supports our businesses and people that want to work in the city, but he can't afford to live in the city yet um, as we work on the housing uh, challenges. So it's a long way of um, saying it, it's complicated and it's, we can't just look at Vancouver in isolation. So that's the TransLink uh, portion of that equation, mm -hmm. but what can the city do to create better flow for those people who are forced into cars because there isn't an adequate amount of service through TransLink? Or are we built out? Built out in, in as far of, as our road uh, systems are concerned, and being able to create better flow of traffic. You know, it's you know, it's beyond my pay grade to give you the micro answers. But <laughs> but what I, what I can say, no, because we talk about it all the time. So it, it's not as simple as saying, hey, you know, we need more bus stops or what have you, because there are competing interests for that. For example, we want patios for our restaurants, as an example. Uh, we want parking for our stores and we want better flow of transit, which means you take out the parking and you take out the patios. And so there is a balancing act here and we can't just say one or the other. We actually have to be a lot more thoughtful um, because I can tell you putting in that extra bus stop somewhere actually may be, make the difference between the survival um, or the failure of, you know, 10 shops on that block. And we work with the BIAs. Yeah. Um, uh, to you know, talk about these issues as well. Dan? Well, on the subject of parking, um, there's a report going to council next week, I imagine you've seen it, um, uh, where staff are recommending doing away with minimum parking requirements for new developments in the West End and in the Broadway corridor area, mm -hmm. uh, following a similar move a number of years ago for downtown. Mm -hmm. um, so. To some people, it might sound crazy. They think, oh, it's already so difficult to find parking in the Broadway area and the West End. So the idea of new buildings having fewer underground parking spots might seem crazy. But as you're touching on, these things are all trade-offs. And obviously, ensuring the viability of development projects has been a big priority for you. So do you want to tell us where you stand on the idea of parking minimum requirements for new buildings? Is it something that would make sense in the West End and Broadway? Maybe even more broadly around the city. Do you have a thought about this? Yeah, okay, and so full disclosure, I haven't had a chance to uh, read that yet. So, you know, these things literally- You got the weekend, you got yeah, some time. We got, we got the weekend, that <laughs> yeah. happens uh, Sunday night at about yeah. 11 o'clock. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I can talk from a 30,000 foot level. Sure. Um, no, we have to look at our challenges differently. Look, we have to build more housing and we can't have, that. our roads can't support more cars. So we build uh, more housing, but then we have to look at our transportation infrastructure. We have to look at multimodal uh, infrastructure, uh, bike lanes that we can use, you know, scooters uh, on as well. Um, and then uh, being innovative um, or looking at challenges differently. So, um, you know, it's not as if we're going to get a bunch of different subway lines in the downtown core, but what we can do is we can pull off examples, let's say in Hong Kong, where they use short buses to connect neighborhoods into or uh, trans rapid transit and then feed from there. So look, there are a lot of innovative uh, solutions that we can pull on from around the planet, but make no mistake about it, we have to build more. And it's not as if we're gonna put more cars on the road. You can read about this issue in tomorrow's Vancouver Sun and Province. Okay. <laughs> awesome, just let me know how I should yeah. vote. Is that why? <laughs> I didn't say that, <laughs> sorry. So what's the reality of uh, single, uh, family housing in Vancouver now going forward? Is it an, a relic of the past? Well, uh, let's look out a hundred years. Yeah. A hundred years, I'd be shocked if there are very many single family homes in the city of Vancouver. 
left. Left, yeah. Because yeah. even if they were around, they're going to be unaffordable because um, if they're going to pay their fair share of property taxes, it's it's going to be unaffordable. Like you, you, you look at Hong Kong and there's some single family homes there and I'm sure they pay a gazillion dollars in property taxes. And if someone wants to do that, knock your socks off. But I don't think, you know, everyone but maybe 12 people in the city of Vancouver will be able to afford that. Uh, no, we're getting serious about, you know, the fact that there are going to be more people that live in the city of Vancouver. We have 500,000 people coming to the country every single year, and I fully support that. If we want to maintain our standard of living, we have to support immigration. And by the way, we're a country of immigrants. We're all immigrants here. So um, a lot of them are going to come to Vancouver. And so if we think that we're going to be able to support that by keeping single-family homes all over the city, it doesn't make a lot of sense. If you want a single-family home, and look, I love single-family homes. Um, I don't think it's it's practical. We have billions upon or trillions of dollars of infrastructure here. We are now a global city. Um, if you want to have a single-family home with a huge yard and a picket fence, y- you know what? Do it in 99.8% of the rest of the province where that is possible. Um, we're building world-class here and uh, if we want to have world-class hospitals and a police force and businesses and restaurants and not-for-profit organizations we have to have people who are able to afford to live in the city of Vancouver and the surrounding area. You thankfully uh, brought up the topic of uh, property tax which we saw increase 10.7 percent last year and then you pulled together a task force said that they were going to scrutinize everything, and then come back with a report on October the 3rd and present it to Council on October the 17th. Mm-hmm. Where's the report? It's coming. And what do you know about what it's going to say about rising no, uh, property tax rates? I have no idea what it's going to say. I'm, you know, What we did was we asked um, um, a task force to be set up, and it's stacked with 24 of arguably some of the smartest people uh, in the country working on this. We gave them no guardrails. We said, look, um, we don't want to hold you back because it wouldn't be fair to the city of Vancouver. And so they're going to surprise us. And then we, as a council and mayor, have to deal with it. Um, so there's no hiding from it. So we're going to be surprised like everyone else, and I'm fine with that. Okay. When it comes to the 10.7% property tax increase, um, that's something that if I were to look at the last year, um, it was a failure on my part to communicate what that actually meant. So yes, it was a 10.7% property tax increase. There's no denying that. But what I failed to articulate is the fact that a lot of the property taxes that we collect are for Metro, TransLink, and the provincial school tax that has nothing to do with the city of Anchor. We do not control it. We have literally no control over it. Uh, What a 10.7% property tax increase means to the average condo owner is 33 cents a day. To the average homeowner, it means 83 cents a day. To put that in context, if you live in a condo and there's two of you that go to Tim's every single day, we actually made life a little more affordable for you because we saved you 50 cents a day and you got a 33 cent per day property tax increase that went to fully fund a police force for the first time in 15 years, fully fund a a fire department for the first time in eight years. Uh, We are replenishing uh, the capital um, reserves and to give your viewers context, we have a $500 million capital deficit in the city of Vancouver. If we kick it down the road like other administrations have, 
There could be a situation where we can't flush toilets in the city of Vancouver in certain areas for the next 20 years. We uh, re were replenishing the reserve fund, which was almost ground down to zero um, because of COVID. And so these are things that we're doing. And that, that's just the cup fee and a condo owner's property taxes. We also, like I said, got rid of the road tax. That was $250 million plus 50 to $100 million a year. We stopped the building of a fifth bike lane 200 yards away from Broadway. Look, I'm a cyclist. I love cycling. I don't think we need a fifth bike lane within 200 yards of Broadway at a cost of $20 million a year. We got rid of the Vancouver Economic Commission, which was $3 million a year where there's duplication of effort. So the list goes on and on. So we've actually, despite what you see out there, and I take full responsibility because I failed to properly communicate it, we have done a lot of things from a fiscally responsible side while still making sure that we're empathetic and kind and we do not forget all the social things that we want to achieve as well. Dan, I cut you off. Sorry about that. You had a, another question. Well, just to go back to the subject of, uh, well, I guess I'll build on that now, yeah. for now while we're talking about property taxes. Because looking forward, you know, even beyond, you know, when we get the report from the mayor's task force mm -hmm. and we see what efficiencies they're able to find, mm -hmm. but, you know, city staff, as you know, have estimated that because of these fiscal pressures, this inflationary environment, mm -hmm. um, you've got arbitrated wage increases. Mm -hmm. uh, they were forecasting that over the next five years in the current kind of environment, you might be looking at an average of a 9% increase every year for the next five years to property taxes. Do you think that is the likely kind of scenario for the next three years during the current term, 9% a year increases? Or how much confidence do you have in this task force and in you and your staff and council to find efficiencies that might be able to avoid that kind of, those kinds of increases? Yeah, so look, we're, we're not miracle workers here, but what I can tell you is we take a financial, like a fiscally responsible, responsible lens to everything we do. Now, we cannot control inflation. If interest rates are running at 10%, uh, if we come in at 9%, I think, like that's a win. I'm not saying that's happening. I'm giving you an illustrative example. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. I don't want to freak everyone News out alert. here. And yeah. so we have to deal. And by the way, um, you know, um, you know, the uncontrollables. There's nothing we can do. We can control the controllables. So we do not control inflation. We do not control, uh, you know, the pipe, the price of concrete. And we have to buy it in the free market like everyone else. And we build stuff. So um, those are the things we don't control. We do not control. Um, for the most part, um, salary increases for the VPD and banker of fire because they get negotiated in other jurisdictions and then we're put in the situation. Do we, do we want to meet market or do we want to have a labor dispute, shut down the city and then agree to what was going to happen anyways? And so I think, you know, if, if the taxpayers of Vancouver are upset because we did what was prudent based on what we could do, then, you know, there's not much we can do about it. Now, that being said, we're thinking out of the box as well. And the best example is the Stanley Park train. We we're presented with the situation where the train wasn't going to work. We we're probably going to shelve it. And this was six months ago, by the way. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the expertise. We have supply chain issues. There weren't the parts. We're like, no, you know what? That's not the right answer. And so we picked up the phone and we actually raised, we had commitments for a million dollars for the train. And so we took the money off the table and it wouldn't cost the taxpayers of Vancouver a dime. Then we, uh, we, we went to the community and said, who's, who's the expert in trains? Jeff Stibbard. He's actually one of the, the, the smartest guys in trains in North America. 
So he came in and he helped us give us, give, give us advice. He worked with the park board, he worked with us. And guess what? Not only do we have, you know, we don't have the full set, but we have one train uh, subject to um, an inspection. It's gonna start running on November 30th. We also did it for 500 grand. Like I know 650 is out there, but part of that was, it was gonna happen anyways. So we also came under budget. So we were actually responsible for other donors' money. And so that's the attitude we are taking to the city of Vancouver. So when you look, if, if we go current state with their projections, um, our, our team, who are awesome by the way, um, if it looks like 9%, uh, we're gonna do other things where we can generate revenue that tax, like it's not going to affect taxpayers, um, where we can get that number down. For example, naming rights on buildings and parks. Okay, um, they do it at universities right now. Why don't we do it here? Why don't we actually have, um, you know, um, actually, I won't mention that one right now. That's not fully baked. <laughs> I don't want to get myself in trouble yet. It's Come on, we already no. have, but. <laughs> So we don't have to follow the traditional box that we've been following for the last hundred years. We could look at things differently. Okay, so last night I'm walking home and I need to stop at the bank at an ATM. It's not even seven o'clock at night. I can't get in the building mm -hmm. to where the ATM is because the door's locked. Mm -hmm. the door's locked because the bank is protecting itself against endless vandalism and crime that's associated with that. Mm -hmm. Ian Tossenson is here with us. He's part of a group that just last week yeah. came and said, we need help. Yeah. Ian, you have a question for the mayor? Well, I just more of a comment. Um, you know, I, I, you know what, what the mayor is saying about process here is actually in fact happening. And uh, the mayor with Vision uh, put together a hospitality group and gave us the responsibility to come up with some innovation. And um, and I think you said to me at the, during the, before the election, we're going to put smarter guys than me in the room to solve this. And we've got a, a group of people that are doing it. But more importantly is that you've created a culture shift at the city with the staff because they're not used to this. And, and it's really making some changes. And we're going to see some, I think, some really uh, refreshing changes in hospitality because of that. And, um, and so that's number one. I want to say thank you for that. It's, it's working. Well, thank you for stepping up um, and doing it. So you're you're part of the solution. You're no, part of the solution actually. So thank you. The uh, the safe street thing is safe street coalition. Um, we need to put some emphasis on that. I think we all know what the issues are. It's a big group, um, but uh, you know, again, another comment is that we're committed to our city, and there's a group of people that are very committed to the city. But we'll get support from the city and the BIAs. So there's not really a question except for a comment. Don't get rid of natural gas. Keep our natural gas. So last year in one of our crime panels, John Meek from JJ Bean uh, was talking about the impact that street crime has on him and his businesses. And he just closed down one of his stores at the old Woodward site. Cost him a lot of money to get out of a lease uh, that he was losing money on. And when asked last year, are you, does that mean that you're not opening new stores? He says, oh, no, I'm still opening new stores, just not in the city of Vancouver. So what do we do to get somebody like John to come back and believe that there's a good retail environment for him to be able to operate in. Well, we have to bring a good retail environment for operation. Well, exactly, but how do we yeah, get and, there? And he's absolutely <laughs> right, and the, 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 the businesses and uh, the, the communities that you know are 
dealing with, uh, you know, crime and the other issues. It's a real thing. We're not hiding from it at all. And that, that's why we were elected, and that's why, um, you know, that's why it's a focus. So, what what have we done? Oops. Is that better? So we, we're triaging the current situation. That's where uh, the police officers comes in. That's where the mental health workers come in. And we have to more work to do on the mental health worker side of things. But that just triages. If that's all we do, we're in a lot of trouble. And so a lot of these issues that we have are actually not city of Vancouver responsibilities. They're provincial or federal. Now, hold on. Yeah. Before, before we say, look, we've heard every single politician say that before. I'm just explaining it. I still think that as mayor of Vancouver and our council, that's just another challenge. Okay, it's still happening in the city of Vancouver and we have to own it. And so how do we do it? We become great partners to the province and the federal government and we work collaboratively with them and we show them this is why it's important. I can tell you the province, they've been great partners and we've been working on a lot of things together, more to come. Um, that one of the big challenges we have uh, in very simplistic terms is this whole catch and release, uh, right. right? And so um, that's something that we've been uh, lobbying uh, um, with the province um, uh, for the feds to make a change because I tell you we're running into situations where you know people are getting you know you know arrested five six seven hundred times and nothing happens and so you know even if we have a benchmark you know until we deal with the issue like even if the benchmark was like 200 times you know let's pick a ridiculous number after your 200th time Maybe we should identify the person and say, you know what, maybe you have a significant mental health issue and you really need help. Or maybe you're just a jerk and you shouldn't be on the streets. Because I can tell you, when you Pareto chart this thing, it's only about 50 to 100 people that are causing a lot of, you know, the challenges that we have on the street. And if it's a, a humanitarian healthcare issue, let's take care of our people. And if it's not, Let's deal with that problem. So I know it was an American initiative going back to the 1990s, three strikes and you're out. Um, 200 is a long way from 300. How come we can't seem to get into that kind of line of thinking that you can't just let people go time after time after time after time? Yeah, it, it's up to us and not just us as government. It, it's so important that the residents of Vancouver, the BIAs, all the industry groups, um, people that work in the healthcare field, you know, we very pragmatically, objectively, without politics, we actually go and, you know, we, we plead our case to the federal government. And if we do that, I think we go a long way. I give you uh, a different example. Um, when we won the election, and we ran the table um, with all of our elected officials and we won by a lot. Um, one of the things that we said was super important was Chinatown. And what happened after we won, I think a lot of people took notice and you know what you saw? You saw the province and the federal government step up. The province gave Chinatown, I think $2.1 million. Uh, the federal government gave Chinatown $1.9 million. They all show up, all political parties of all political stripes, they show up to the Chinatown parade. So it got on the radar. 
we can do that with our other challenges as well, be it housing or, you know, street disorder or mental health issues or what have you. But we have to let our voice be heard. And that's bigger than the mayor. Like we can facilitate some of it, but it's when the advocacy uh, groups, they step up as well because you have power in the community and like exert that power, exert your voice, let your voice be heard. Yeah. Okay, to go back a little bit when we were talking about... Uh single-family houses and single-family zoning. Um, of course, as we know, a lot of Vancouver's land is dedicated to mostly single-family houses and some duplexes. Um, and to clarify, when you talk about 100 years, thinking about 100 years in the future of Vancouver, are you still the mayor of Vancouver in 100 years? <laughs> I might, well, no, I hopefully I'm alive in 100 years, but I, I, I don't think anyone would be well-served if I was the mayor. So... Uh, on the subject of single-family zoning, obviously you, your council has recently passed a motion that would allow up to six units on uh, a lot of single-family lots, uh, depending on the size. Um, and then more recently, the ABC Majority Council approved a rental building, uh, an apartment building in Dunbar over some considerable neighborhood opposition, um, but, you know, is, uh, I think, keeping the streak of having approved every rezoning that has uh, come to council. And so next week, I wanted to ask about, uh, there's a motion, it's not coming from an ABC councillor, but from Christine Boyle, a councillor with one city, is bringing a new motion that would direct staff to look at densifying Shaughnessy. Mm -hmm. So Shaughnessy, of course, is a, uh, one of the only parts of the city, I think the only residential neighbourhood that wasn't affected by the multiplex motion that was recently approved, because it's sort of a heritage preservation area. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to ask what you think about the idea of adding residential density, different housing types, potentially adding different kinds of shops and services to Shaughnessy. Um, should Shaughnessy be open to more density or is that neighborhood kind of off limits? No, without, once again, um, I haven't seen uh, the council package yet. That's Sunday night at 11 yeah. o'clock. Um, but, you know, I'm going to approach everything with an open mind. And so to your point around Dunbar, you know, um, you know, we, we had a very open mind. The local residents had some legitimate concerns about, you know, the unique nature of that cul-de-sac. And so, um, you know, we, we you know, we're, we're dealing with that as well. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you know, we support density in that area. I'm going to call in Sean. Uh, Sean, there's a question there about uh, poisonous drugs um, and deaths, which is a significant problem here. Sean, can you read that question, please? Absolutely. Thank you, Stu. Uh, do you think that drug poisoning deaths will increase or decrease next year? And can the city do anything about it? The answer is I don't know. Um, but what I can tell you is we're going through a humanitarian crisis right now, and it's absolutely terrible. And so um, if we had a magic wand, we would have waived it by now. So a lot more work needs to be done on it. Uh, not only you know from the city's perspective, but uh, the province and the feds as well. So when you went down onto uh, the downtown east side and did the removal of the tent city that was down there, mm -hmm. at this point now, do you uh, maintain that that was the right thing to do? Yeah, but uh, not because of an opioid crisis or anything like that. I, I want to be very clear uh, to the viewers here. Like there, there are a lot of you know crazy things that were going on down there. Um, put all that stuff to the side. 
We, we had a public safety issue there where we were pulling out 100-pound tanks, propane tanks. If one of these things explodes, it takes out a whole city block. Um, I was personally not prepared to have to say to someone's uh, family, I'm sorry your parents or your mom or dad didn't come home because we didn't have the courage to do the, the, the right but hard politically thing to do. Also, if one of those things exploded, best case scenario, we only lose two to 300 units of housing. Worst case scenario, 500 people die a horrific death. So we're doing it. And I would enthusiastically, that's the wrong term. I would, there would be no hesitation to do it again, even if that meant that every single person in Vancouver did not vote for me. I'm fine with it because I tell you, it, it, it was the only right decision and I, I challenge everyone if they had those facts what would they do so what's the so-called the status on the so-called temporary housing now sir which temporary housing are you well, talking there's about? a number of temporary housing uh facilities around the city what what is the status on those are, are they you, still are, temporary or are they becoming permanent uh well there's some uh temporary units that are coming off the books um because you know, they were temporary. Um, I don't think we need pilot studies or anything uh, anymore. The, the challenge that we have in the city of Vancouver is we have limited land, right? And so um, instead of having, you know, a, a three-story, you know, modular temporary housing uh, unit, um, let's build something bigger and we can actually provide more housing. And, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is there are some transition issues. It does take time to build it, but... Um, the longer term answer, the better long term answer is actually saying, all right, we know we know enough now, let's actually build these units. So that's what we're doing. So when I started, I said there were no guardrails around today, except for the fact that I was told that you had uh, only 45 minutes. Can you hang for a few more minutes? Uh, sure, we can a couple, but I'll be late for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but there's a fun question here. Okay. Sean, go, question number one. <laughs> Thanks, Stu. Will the city look at spearheading and executing events like uh, Santa Claus Parade, New Year's Eve fireworks, and this coming year, will there be a Grey Cup Parade? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, and I don't know. But here's the thing. So let's talk about the um, the fireworks uh, uh, during Canada Day. Uh, the Port of Vancouver they were actually the, the they were the organization that funded it very generously, um, and it's in their right to not do it anymore. And we thank them for doing it. Um, we had short notice about that cancellation, but we have a long runway as to you know um, what happens next year. And I can tell you, uh, we're going to be working the phones uh, to see if uh, someone wants to step up and put it on and fund it for uh, this upcoming year. Because, uh, you know, what I've said um, in the past, uh, in some past media uh, interviews, we don't live in la-la land. Vancouver, we do have fiscal um, challenges. And if we want to make sure that we don't have, you know, significant property tax increases, we have to make hard decisions like, are we going to spend four or $500,000 funding, you know, fireworks for one day? Don't know. 
right? But what we can do is there are a lot of people and a lot of organizations that love this place. Um, he would love to step up and do that. So why aren't we allowing these individuals or organizations to show their, you know, Vancouver spirit and do something great for the community? And they want to do it. And if we can do that, we've changed the paradigm in the city of Vancouver. We can have great events and we can still be fiscally responsible. So Jane Talbot from the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association has a question for you. Jane? Hey, Jane. Hi, nice to see you. Good to see you. Uh, a year ago when you won, mm -hmm. you won with enthusiasm and excitement from the business community. Mm -hmm. You've talked about some of the uh, things that you're proud of that you've accomplished over the last year from a, a big picture perspective. Mm -hmm. I'd like to narrow in on our small businesses. Mm -hmm. They're still struggling. Mm -hmm. It's tough out there. They're still recovering economically from, uh, from the pandemic. What are you most proud of, or what do you think you've advanced for them over the last year? I think, look, I'm acutely aware of what happens with our small businesses because we actually have uh, one on commercial drive. I'm not going to mention the name because it'd be bad form here. So I. I <laughs> Uh, it, it could, but you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to plug them. Okay. So, and so I, I live through the frustrations or actually uh, my wife, Tina, cause I'm not involved in the business. She lives through the same frustrations of trying to pull a permit in a timely order property taxes that are more than base rent. Um, you know, going after, uh, getting a patio permit, uh, you know, so totally get it. Um, and we're working on that. Some of the stuff will take time and I wish we could may wave a magic wand, but we're dealing with a big bureaucracy and we are changing the culture and that's going to take a little bit of time. What I'm most proud of, I think what we're most proud of well, as it relates to small businesses, especially in the downtown core, is we stopped that road tax. That road tax, it would have affected every single business from Clark and 16th all the way through downtown and to the west side. I couldn't imagine if it actually happened and people stopped coming downtown because they'd have to pay a fee. That would have blown a hole through most of the businesses there. It also would have affected housing affordability because every single trade that has to work downtown to build a building, build a housing uh, tower, guess what? They're going to have to pay that fee. And um, any business owner, developer, whatever, they're going to pass the cost on to the consumer, which is the person who's going to buy the place or the people that rent it. And so that would have killed affordability in the city of Vancouver as well. So, um, you know, we avoided, that was a near miss. That could have been really bad if that was implemented. And make no mistake about it, that was a real thing. Final question to Dan Tamano. So one last question. Um, obviously, you come from a business background. I get the impression you're focused on not only processes, but results. Three years from now, when you're interviewing with your bosses, the voters of Vancouver, mm -hmm. to try to get rehired, can you think of a key performance indicator, one specific result that you think the voters of Vancouver should judge you on? Something that hasn't been accomplished yet, but that within the next three years, you think you're going to get it done and people should judge you on that? It's hard to answer that question, so I, I'll give you a different answer. We were very clear that we were running on 94 points. I'm a big believer in you do what you say you're going to do. And so when we're looking, when, you know, when election time comes, uh, you know, 
what, two and a half years from now now. Um, you know, I think the voters should just look at that list. It's out there right now. It's, it's so, you know, we're being very transparent. Um, if we've hit um, a significant portion of those, I think the voters should be, you know, please. So is it official you're running for re-election? So I'm committed to hitting five personal goals, um, you know, that, that I keep uh, dear to my heart. And as soon as they're achieved, um, it's my time to leave. And uh, I do not see that happening in, you know, the next two and a half years. Some of these things will take time. So it's official. <laughs> it's pretty official, yeah. Thank you very much uh, for taking the time to be with us today. We really appreciate your candor and your willingness to take questions from all sides. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thank you to viewers. And please join us on November 21st at 7 p.m. when we have an extraordinary panel looking at a very important topic for us in Canada, and that is economic reconciliation. Until then, thank you, and we'll see you.